0: I was looking through some things, and I was reminded of a little story that I heard about a pastor that had trouble um, ending his sermons. He always preached too long, and I was thinking about that today. With a time change, you know, i got to be careful not to preach too long today, because if we get out at noon, it's 1 o'clock. If I get out at 12.15, uh, it's one fifteen. If I went to 12.30, it's 1.30, and I think I'd hear grumble, grumble and there would be uh, uh, all that stuff going on today. But I, this little story remind, uh, was reminding me about it. A pastor really had trouble with it, and you know, he'd preach everything, stop, you know, don't go any further, if you're not, but he'd just go right past it, and he still just couldn't get it done. So he talked to his wife, he said, sweetheart, you know, if I get past the time that we thought it's the right time, I want you just to stop me, just make a signal at me, and I'll stop, well, He'd get preaching, and when she'd do that, she just go for it. It's what she was saying. he just preach longer. That didn't work. So he was at a pastor's fellowship, and he heard that there's a certain kind of breath mint that if you slip that in the corner of your mouth and you just let it be there without sucking on it, it takes exactly 30, 35 minutes to, to um, dissolve. And so when it's done, then you're done. So he tried it. Sure, it worked great. And so every... Sunday morning, his wife would slip him one and he'd put it in his pocket. And just before he preached, he'd slide it back there. And that went on great for several weeks. And one day he was bending over and he popped a button off his shirt and slipped it in his pocket and forgot. And when he went to put the mint in, he slipped the button in. You know, they said he's still preaching. <laughs> oh my goodness. Shall so we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that you give us a good time together today around the Word of God. May our time glorify you, and may you encourage every believer, young and the oldest. Help none of us, Father, to go away empty today. Lord, most of all, we want you to go away praised and worshipped. That's our goal, Lord, to come to you. Father, we would double up on the answer, the prayer that was prayed earlier. We pray for our country. Every one of us in here is concerned. And Lord, we feel humanly powerless but we know you, and Lord, how many times in the scripture it says, but God, and so Lord, we would just throw ourselves upon your mercy and ask for your grace and your mercy, please, but be with us now in these next moments, in Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, amen, well, yesterday, I don't celebrate Halloween, but it was Halloween, but did you see that full moon last night? Man, you didn't need a flashlight outside. It was a big old full moon. Actually, yesterday was a blue moon. And you ever, Once in a blue moon, you ever heard that expression? A blue moon is whenever there's a harvest full moon in the same month twice. And so it was on October 1st there was a full moon, and October 31st it had a full moon. And so yesterday, if you saw the moon, you saw a blue moon. Didn't look blue to me, but that's what they call it. So, next time somebody said, Once in a blue moon, you say, Well, I saw one of those. And uh, sort of reminds me of somebody said, You know, um, I'll get around to it. So, I was somewhere and somebody gave me this little round thing on the side of it. It said T U I T. And they handed it to me and they said, Now you have a round to it. Get busy, please. Uh, So, tonight, let's get around to it. Let's get busy. Let's preach the word of God. But thinking of Halloween, that's sort of, in a sense, a day that Satan is, come on, he comes out from underneath everything and we dress up, not me, but we dress up in Halloween and ghosts and witches and all kinds of weird things uh, that people dress up in and deceive and you go to the door and what do you say, what the kids are teaching them to say, trick or treat? Would you rather me trick you or paint your house or, you know, Toilet paper, your house, or you're going to give me a trick. That's, that's extortion, and that's what we're teaching our kids: trick or treat. I mean, what a what a wonderful Christian thing for us to be to be doing. But there was a tract I, I didn't get it out. I got it out to visitation yesterday. It's called trick or treat, and it really just reminded me: Satan is a liar. And in Second Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 13. For such are uh, apostles. For such are apostles. We're in 2 Corinthians 11, 13. For such are apostles, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marble, for Satan himself is transformed into to an angel of light the idea of an angel of light he appears to be one thing but he's another thing inside we would say he puts on a good mask he has a facade but he's got an evil purpose look at verse 15 therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works so here they might even be uh, appear to be a church a preacher, a priest. Oh, there, there's there's a man of God, but they're not underneath that man of God or that appearing light, that angel of light. There's lies and deceptions and the wrong way. I. Th- back in World War II when they got ready for the Battle of the Bulge from uh, Germany. The Nazis were pushing to go into to France, and they were trying to break the Allies, and the idea of the Battle of the Bulge is, we're going to gather all the Nazi forces together of uh, the Axis forces, and we're going to go like a knife right in the middle, and we're going to divide the armies into half, divide and conquer. If we could just could just break them in half, then we'll eat this part, then we'll eat this part. That was their goal. The night before they did that, they, in the night, went over that area in airplanes quietly and they parachuted in people that were dressed like peasants, looked like they were French peasants or whatever. And those people already had pre-planned to go to all the road signs. And instead of it saying, this way to Paris, they said, this way to Paris. Or instead of this way to uh, on any of the cities, go this way. It was And They turned them all the wrong direction. And one of the things that really almost defeated the Allied forces is when Patton was taking his, his tanks to go up to fight against them, they were reading the signs. They said, we're supposed to go this way, but the sign says that way. And they got it all confused for a little while until suddenly somebody put it together. There was a lot of lies all over the place. There were signs pointing the wrong way. And you know, Satan's just like that spiritually. One of the things people ask me when they get saved and and they start to grow in the Lord, they'll say, I'm reading, and this seems to be contradictory to what you're saying or whatever. What's the answer? Well, we know the answer is not Pastor Butts versus anybody. It's what the Word of God says. Aren't you glad that we have a source that's unchanging and that we can count on it? So tonight, I'll see how far we can get. We want to talk about some lies the devil repeatedly has used over the ages, and might he might use them with you. Number one lie, that you, even though you think you're saved, are really going to hell. Do you know a lot of people, after they get saved, they mess up a little bit. They do a little sin. They... Um, don't do all the good that they would do, their old nature overcomes some of the new nature, and maybe they lie and they deceive and they cross the line, and the devil comes right up to you and he says, see, you're not a Christian. How would God ever let you into heaven? And he comes along and tries to destabilize them, and it's no different than those signs pointing the other way. If he can get a person to not even be sure they're saved, they're sure not going to be pointing other people. They're not going to be confident in the Sunday school teacher. And I have known, this may be surprising to some of you, there are pastors that the devil really goes after them, and here they are to get up and give a message, and inside they're saying, I'm not really sure that I'm telling the truth about salvation. Can you imagine that? And so Satan comes along. Well, can I just say to you a few things? First of all, the Bible says that when we get saved, you can't lose it. In John chapter 10, would you turn over there with me, please? John chapter 10, one of our key passages, point out a few things that you could really enjoy. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep, John 10, 27, my sheep. That sheep in the Bible are those that are God's children, his saved. Goats are the ones that are being separated for hell. My sheep hear my voice, and God says, I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them life. Is that what your Bible says? God says, I give unto them what kind of life? Eternal, Eternal life. There's my first point today. God didn't say, I give unto them life that's vacillating. I, like it's here and it's gone. Like a twinkle on a, on a Christmas tree. On off, on off, on off. Save lost, save lost, save lost. God says, I give unto them what kind of life? Life eternal life i've given you eternal life and then he doubles up on it and they shall never perish now how could god say you'll never perish and then turn around and you're perishing god says i give you something that's everlasting and from this point on you will never perish go on and Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. God says, you don't keep your salvation. I keep your salvation. Boy, those are three wonderful truths. It's everlasting. You will never perish. And you're not the one that keeps it. Let's just stop and think for a moment. When I got saved, was it anything good I did to get saved? Did I work my way to heaven? Did I give enough money? We know we've heard messages. Salvation is not of works. It's by grace alone. Grace, faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And when I heard that as a sinner, I realized I needed it. And I said, Jesus, come into my life and save my soul. I did nothing but receive the free gift. And now something I do as far as I was not good enough or I was too bad, it never depended on my good works. It was always on the work of Jesus. He's the one that saved my soul So when I don't make right choices and when I maybe am disobedient, God doesn't treat me as an unsaved person Let's think of John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The day that you got saved, you were made alive, and you were quickened, made alive to God, and you joined the family of God. And now from this point on, God treats you and me not as out of the family. He treats me as a disobedient son. So how many people have children? you have had a child. How many is a child? That's everybody. Okay, we're all, okay. What do you do with children when they're disobedient? You're out of this family. Don't ever talk to me again. Don't ever say you were a butts. We don't know. There's a time or two. I might have liked to have done that, but that's not what you do. You say, come here. No, come here. You know what's coming. There's lack of fellowship with dad. There's no joy in the butt's house. There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as dad or mom meets out the sentence, whatever it is. Next time, you're going to remember this bend over, son, or go to that room, or you stand in this corner, or no dessert for you for a week. Ooh, I'd rather I was baking. This is how God deals with his children. He doesn't kick us out of the family. He chastises his children. As a matter of fact, could we go over the book of Hebrews chapter 12, please? Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. Verse 5, Hebrews 12, 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Whose children? God's children. My son, that's the saved person, despise not the chastening. What's chastening? Get with it, son. Go the right direction. I'm going to have to deal with you. You've been a disobedient son. Despise not the getting after this, the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of God. For whom the Lord loveth, he what? Do you know When I'm away from God and I'm convicted and I'm miserable and things are happening, that is one of the surest signs that I am saved, not lost. Satan tries to come along and say, you know what? You never were saved. You're not saved. I know I accepted Christ. I'm so sorry. And the Lord has made me miserable. Great. That is exactly what a son should feel. That lack of fellowship. That lack of joy. And that's a sign of salvation. Go on, please. Verse 7. If ye endure, I'm sorry, verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now, if I were to walk outside my house and three or four boys were all throwing rocks and stuff and not doing right, and my son was in the midst of them, you know, I would treat Three boys one way and one boy a different way. I say to my son, you come here and you boys, I'm going to go talk to your folks and they're going to deal with you as their sons. But son, you come in here and we have a long talk. I would deal with him as my son. Okay? So go on in verse 5, right? eight. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all, all sons are partakers. If you don't have that, then you are bastards. I remember the first time my pastor preached on this. I, oh, what did you say, pastor? Boy, why is that word dirty? Because it's a mean thing to say. You turn to somebody and you call them that term. Literally, it's saying you are not really your father's son. Your mama went with somebody else, and you're not, and you were born out of a, a dirty, rotten sexual. And you're a, and you're a bastard. That's the term. So. What is it saying in here? It says, if a person says, I'm a child of God, but they never are chastised, they're never convicted, there's never any of this kind of stuff, they never were actually the child of God. So conviction over this idea that I've gotten away from God and he's dealing with me is actually a strong sense that you're saved. Look on, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who protected us and gave, and we gave them reverence. Uh, shall not we much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, God, chastened us, understood, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. What is God trying to do? He's trying to move us into a holy walk. A righteous walk, an obedient walk. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Yay, I get a spanking. I've never felt that way. Yay, no supper for me. Yay, I'm grounded for the rest of my life. Yes, I I, I finally arrived. No, it's not joyous. But it's Grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, that chastening yieldeth the fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I like that idea, exercised. I'm going to exercise you, boy. The Lord is going to deal with us, and he's going to move us into being more like a Christ son, more like a Christian should be. So what's the lie? Satan's lie is you're headed to hell. And they... He's trying to take the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to, the, the sorrow of our sin and the miserableness of our sheep nature and the pig pen. He takes all that and he tries to make us feel like we were never saved. Well, first of all, we weren't saved by work. Second of all, it was eternal. Third of all, everlasting life. Fourth of all, I don't keep it myself. I am eternally the Son of God. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this. God has not given us the spirit of fear. God doesn't want you to go around thinking, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'm saved. God wants us to say, I know I'm saved. And this is the confidence that we have. If we have accepted his son into our life, we have eternal life. So today, have you accepted by faith, willingly, Jesus Christ as your savior? Say amen then you are according to third, uh, the word of God now and forevermore the son or the daughter of God. Don't let Satan twist that in your life. 1 John 4.18, perfect love, that's the love of the Father, cast out fear. Don't let Satan make you fearful. You are the son of God. Go to the second lie that Satan tries to deal with us. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 just before Revelation, Jude, you have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. It's 1st John, chapter 3. He that committeth sin is of the devil. So I want to deal with a lie about this. Satan says you can compromise and play with sin and it's okay. You can have a little sin. Do you know, I grew up, maybe not around Christians all the time, but do you know what sometimes people said to me? That doesn't matter. That was a little white lie. That was just a little gray sin. That wasn't a dirty black one. You know, really bad it was, a, it was just sort of subtle. Yeah, we all lie, but you know, there was a, the good outweighs the bad in my lie. Listen, the Bible says you can't, lie, you can't sin. You can't compromise with sin. Somebody might put it this way. It's a small thing. It's no big deal. Have you ever picked up a cup and you were getting ready to have, I don't care, your favorite whatever drink, and you're getting ready to pour it, and as you poured it in, you look down in the cup, and there's this guy going like this. He's backstroking in your cup. Now, if you're a gross boy, you go like this, and you go ahead and drink it. But 99% of us out here would say, Ah! Oh! That's it. We're disgusted by it. God is a holy God. There's no such thing as a big sin and a little sin, sort of sin. Um, I can that's okay. Let me tell you another one. It's just a little sin, it's no big deal. Here's the second part of that lie. everybody does it. Everybody does it. First John. he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. We could read on. God says there's sin in our life that needs to be dealt with. And we don't allow purposely things to be in our life that God has pointed out that it's wrong. Don't play footsie. Don't play compromise. Don't allow sin in life. Satan tries to somehow minimize it like it's no big deal. Everybody else is doing it. I mean, I'm I'm doing pretty good, and I've dealt with all these other things. But now God's pointed out this in your life. And I found this a long time ago when I first got saved. I I realized a bunch of stuff I needed to deal with. I dealt with it. And then, after I dealt with that, God began to show me more things. And as I began to see it, I either could obey and deal with it or I could allow it to stay in my life and be miserable. Have you bought, bitten the apple, as it were, from Satan and believed the lie that your little sin is no big deal? It is a big deal. For him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Listen, there's a sin of committing things, and there's the sin of omitting things. You say, omitting? Well, I'll give you something that I deal with every day in my office. Pastor Butts, would you sign this? What is it? It's a, it's a sheet where the student did not do their homework, and it's no home for the parents that they've got one day to get it in. They've already lost 10 20%. The next day it's going to be a zero. What was happening? They didn't do their homework. They omitted what they were supposed to do, and there's going to be a consequence. Could I say to you as Christians, we're not saved by our good works, and we're not lost because of our bad works, but bad works are always wrong, and good works are always right. And the Bible says that you can't compromise with sin in your life. I wonder if there's somebody here You just got a little dirty thing. Can I can I point out a few things? I just drink a little. I only do it when the kids aren't around. I I watch that because it says it's for mature audiences only. I thought that's always been labeled wrong. It's not for mature, it's for very immature audiences that have to feed their flesh. Do you watch stuff like that, and you allow it in your life, and it's got this big old XXX all over it, and you watch it anyhow? Listen, that's sin, and it's wrong. When the government gets too much, they don't deserve it, I'm just not going to report this. That's wrong. It's wrong. And we as Christians need to deal with that in our life. I could go on and on in our life. We think that we can openly know about sin in our life and we just have done it for a long time and God hasn't nailed us yet. Read a story about a man somewhere up in the Midwest. They were putting through a great big, you know, two-lane road each way, four-lane highway, and and it was replacing this little dirt road. And this farmer had always come out in his old little pickup truck, and he just never stopped at that road. He just went right through it. and, And one day, he pulled right out in front of a car. Wham! And boy, they took him to the hospital, and later on he got this ticket for not yielding at the stop sign, and the, the policeman said, why didn't you stop? He said, I never stopped there before. Why should I start? Because they put a road through. You know, Christians, you may think that you own the road, but you don't. God does. And when God says stop, you need to stop. You need to stop. You need to deal with it in your life. You need to get out First John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Confess it as it is. God, I know my little habit of lying, that exaggerating, not telling the truth. It's sin. God, I know what I do on my computer when nobody's around. I know it's sin. I confess it. I acknowledge my sin is ever before me, but I'm not trying to compromise with it. You know, that's the big difference between a lot of characters in the Bible. One is dealt with strongly, and the other one doesn't seem to be dealt with as strongly. Why? Because one, when his sin is pointed out, he covers it. The other one, when it's pointed out, he says, forgive me, you are right, God. I should have dealt with it long before today. I ask you to forgive me. Where are you with some sins in your life? You've been covering them? You've been letting them lay there for a life. The devil says, ah, it's all right. Just let us, no big deal. Nothing's happened yet. You just haven't gotten to the judgment yet. Number three, the devil says to us, I'm not as bad as they are. I'm not as bad as they are. Could you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 11. 2 Corinthians 10, 11. Let such as one think this, that such as they, as we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such will we be. Indeed, when we are present. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but... They measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What's the problem here? My sin isn't as bad as their sin, Pastor Butts. If you were to look at that person, uh, uh, that person over there, uh, they, they, you know, they lie and cheat. If you just knew what they're like out of church, Pastor, I'm so much better than they are, Pastor. I mean, they smoke. Did you know they smoke? Did you know they they, they, they uh, drink uh, Budweiser beer, Lone Star beer I know, all the time at their barbecues? Did, did you know that they're the worst gossip in the whole, and I never do any of that stuff. My I'm, I'm better than that, but I've still got stuff in my life that doesn't. Or let's take it a little different way. They never do anything in the church. I mean... I usher, I mow the lawn, I volunteer for neighborhood Bible time, I teach a Sunday school class, I give the praise offering, I would buy that whole sidewalk for the whole church. I mean, look what I'm doing. That's more than anybody else. They measuring themselves among themselves are not wise. One of the things I find it's interesting, in our youth group over the years, we've had some really pretty special teenagers. I mean, they just shine right up, and I think, wow, they've just really, really got talent. They can sing. They're leaders, and and boy, sometimes they get sort of big-headed. You try to pop it, but it's still big like that until they get to college. And it's interesting, I've seen several of them go down to where I graduated in Bob Jones. They go on that campus with three or 4,000 kids, and they're used to being in a school of about or you know, 500, 150 people, and all of a sudden, they're a little teeny minnow in a great big ocean. They said, maybe I wasn't such a big deal after all. You know, Christians, we've got to be careful how we measure ourselves. One of my favorite illustrations is from Africa. There are two tribes in Africa. One's called the Pygmies and one's called the Watusis. The Watusis are known to be like seven feet tall. They've just got genetics that everybody in that tribe that's born, they're all just really tall. The Pygmies, just four feet, four foot two, they're just shortest little thing. You see, I think I, I, uh, they're just itsy-bitsies. One day there was a Watusi, a a, a pygmy, that he just, for some reason, he grew to five foot two instead of four foot two. He walked around. He just thought he was the biggest thing in, in the whole world. He sort of ran his tribe. He said, I'm taller than anybody else. And one day, somehow, he earned his way to go to town, and he met a Watusi, and he was two foot shorter than he was. You know, people, sometimes we compare ourselves among ourselves and our standard's not so wise. I read my Bible more than they do. I witness more than they do. I give more than they do. I'm more faithful than I am. We need to compare ourselves to God's standard and God's word and God's conviction in our heart. Have you been guilty of just saying, you know what, I'm okay because I'm better than? I find this a lot over the years as Christians, and thereby we get comfortable. We either stop striving or we stop dealing with stuff. I'm better than, and we're comparing. Let me give you a fifth thing, and this goes way back to Genesis chapter 3. Would you go with me, please? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It's one of the first lies Satan used. Now, verse 1, Genesis, here's Satan. He's in a serpent form. Now the serpent was more subtle. That means sneaky. He's, more, he's just sort of under the surface. He lies really well. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And here's what he said unto the woman. Yea, hath God said. Let's just stop there. At this moment, it doesn't matter what he's, what he's questioning. Here's the lie of Satan. The Bible is really not the word of God. The Bible is not the word of God. Do you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says that it's forever settled in heaven that Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Bible says it's been inspired by God. It's been breathed out in what we have here are literally the very words of God written down and preserved to us to right now, November 1st, 2020. You have God's Word in His hands. Not one little jot, one little tittle, one little period, one cross of a T is going to pass away To God says, everything will be fulfilled. Everything. In the New Testament, Paul, as he was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ that died for us on the cross, and he came to some of these different Corinth, and he came to different places, and it said, assuredly gathering that what he said was the Word of God. In our day and age, the millennial is known to question everything. My day and age are just a little different. I'm sure we question a lot of things. But if so and so of enough period of time doing something and enough stature and and their life had a had some aura of, of stability around it, they said it, that sort of must be true. Now the millennial says, So what? Who's he? He's a human being. I'll decide for myself. And one of the things that has happened, and Satan has sort of slipped in under that radar, underneath that area, is that who said the Bible's inspired? How do we know it's true? Who told you? Which books are true? And he goes on and on and on. He goes, uh, and it, just like this Yea, hath God this Is this really God's word? Yea, hath God said? As soon as a person entertains and receives that, the authority of the commands of God dissipate. If this is the word of God, and God is who he says, one day I will stand before him at the judgment. Is that pretty clear in the Bible? If it's all not so true, then it's what I think versus what you think. And I'll be held to my standard. Your standard may be different than my standard. And this is what the devil would love to propagate. But can I tell you, the Bible has been eternal in all ages. It was there in the year 100. It was the year 1,000. It was there in the year 1,500. It's the year 2,000. And it's the same Bible in the year 2020. And we're going to have to give an answer for it. Even Eve took this, and she, she wanted to believe the truth, she stretches the truth, and she says, well, God didn't exactly, and so she messes with the Word of God. Listen, you can't mess with the Word of God either. There are people that say something like this, I know the Word of God says, but I feel. This is a lot what happens in your charismatic type of Christianity they would say I, I would agree that this is god's word but that's old testament or, or that you know that's not for today but i know it says that but i've experienced differently do you know satan can give you false experiences so satan wants us to question john chapter 17 we preached this just recently john 17 says sanctify them in other words set them apart by truth Thy word is truth. I know we preach this all the time in an independent, fundamental Bible-believing church that the word of God is our authority, but I guarantee if you go to some Christian colleges and seminaries around the United States that had a history 200, 100 years, they now doubt the word of God. I was looking at uh, one of my people I really in the past thought a lot of, and I realized that in the year 1850 that he studied at Princeton University as a theological student. Can you imagine going to Princeton today and being taught that the Word of God is the Word of God? Wow. Wow. It was one of the leading institutes across the United States. Princeton, Harvard, all had very strong. Today, they deny and they work against it. Satan somehow has slipped subtly in in the next generation, the next generation, to now, they say, God is dead. Literally. This book is a piece of literature. It has the force of Confucius say, Jesus say, no, this is the word of God. So, Satan would love to come along. I like Romans 3 4. You could write that reference down. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. Why do we give man a preeminence over our Creator? Can the thing created say to the Creator, You are worthless? And that's what we do when we throw away the word of God. Number five, God doesn't hear you. God's not hearing you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says this, And these things we know that if Christ be in you, if the Son be in you, that you know that you're saved, and that we know that when he hears us, he will answer us. Do we know this? God hears us. He tells us when we pray that he will hear us. Bible is full of answers to prayer, full of that confidence. He will hear our cry, and he will save us. Thou heardest the voice of my supplication, and when I cried unto thee, you heard. God says that he hears our prayers and he answers and God's arm is never too short. God has all these attributes and one of the set that we love so much are the ones that are the omnis. He's omnipresent, aren't you? God is always present. I don't care what predicament you are. God, help me. He's right there. Amen. God, I need wisdom. He's all-knowing. My God is all-present. He's all-knowing. God, this just can't be done, my omnipotent God. There is nothing that is impossible for God. When We cry out to God. We know on the basis that Jesus is sitting at his right hand, and there he is mediating for us. The Holy Spirit is helping me even to pray, and as I talk to God, I know that he hears, and if God hears, he's going to deal with it. Now, sometimes God's answers are yes, sometimes they're no, sometimes the hardest of all, wait. You ever had your parents tell you wait? I remember when my kids were little, I said, you just got to wait. Hold on to your pants for a moment. And my kids would go, that's not what I meant, son. That's what you said. <laughs> sometimes that's God's answer to prayer, wait. <laughs> they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord, teach me to pray trust you in the book of Philippians I love it it talks about let your instead of being worried be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God and the peace that passeth understanding shall keep your hearts Satan wants to say no I won't we have confidence and Satan the father of lies would make you think that God's a liar that he can't, he won't, he doesn't hear, that some of God put his hands over his ears. Let me give you one last line. We'll be done for today. I just don't have enough faith to live for God. I just don't have enough faith. Could I remind you of some simple truths? Number one, Luke chapter 17, verse 6 says this. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, it shall be done unto you. See, God doesn't want, he doesn't say, if you have faith as a mustard seed bush. I went to Israel many years ago, and then a guy who was in charge stopped, and he said, this is a mustard seed bush. I couldn't believe it. It was way up there. That's not what God said. If you have faith like this, you know, you'll this big old plant, what'd he say? If you have faith and you take a mustard seed. Itsy bitsy little thing. My, I was little, my it used to be real popular for girls to get a necklace, and they would get this marble, and inside that marble was a, they, they would have a little mustard seed. it was just sort of a neat thing to wear. This idea of faith and trusting in God. I have faith is a mustard seed. It'sy bitsy faith moves mountains. I don't have enough faith. You don't need a lot of faith. What you need is faith applied. Trust God. Second thing I would out, Matthew 21, verse 21, that when you pray in faith, nothing doubting, the mountain shall be cast into the sea. What's that illustration? Lord, I've got a mountain in front of me. What does a mountain represent? Something so impossible. Nothing. You can't. How do you move Mount Everest? God said, I can. Lord, I don't have enough faith. Lord, this issue in my life, I don't. Want it. Lord says, I can move mountains, I can open doors, I can deal with hearts. But I could just go through and tell you over the years how God has done amazing things for me. But I remember one of the first times I really saw God move in a miraculous way. I was on Bible college. I was a freshman. I was taking speech. And long story, I had honestly missed getting this poem I needed. And on Monday I was going to have to give this poem and say it before the teacher, but I had been away on soul winning and I didn't get it done. And and I said, oh Lord, I'm going to get an F because I'm First period, the library's not even open. My name is Butts. I'm first called up. So I said, oh, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work it. Would you make it snow tomorrow? I know it's October, but would you make it snow? Lord, could you somehow uh, make the teacher start with Z? Lord, would you? I, I just, oh, Lord, please help me. I don't know. And I I, I really, I, I'd always gotten good grades. I couldn't even think of getting enough. This seemed like a mountain to me. So I can remember... I went to church that morning, came back, and I got on my knees under the bunk, and I said, Lord, please, I just beg you to do something. And so I was supposed to meet this girl from my home church. Her name was Esther. Esther is a fun, loving person. We're supposed to be there by 2 o'clock. She's supposed to meet me at a quarter till we'll walk up and get seats. And if you know me, I like to sit down front. Ten minutes to 2, she's not there. Seven minutes to 2, she's not there. Five minutes to two, people are crowding in, getting in the seats. Four minutes to two, I'm thinking I would have had to desert Esther. Three minutes to here she came. Come on, Esther, I was not happy. You know when you're walking with somebody, you're not happy. And we got, I was wanting to go to the main floor. We got put up in the balcony. Oh, I hated that. Then we got seated in the balcony, way up in the balcony. There's only two rows left. And we're on that third row. And I'm sitting there. It's like 20 seconds before the curtain's supposed to go up. I'm just thinking, Esther, I just, <laughs> and I heard the guys, one row more behind me, got seated, and this guy said, oh, da no, da no, no, he starts quoting this poem. I said, a poem I need. Do you have the book? He said, yeah, I was in the library Friday, and I checked out the last one they had. Really? Do you still have the book? Oh, yeah. Could I borrow it? Just meet afterwards, as long as it gets turned in, I got it, and passed, got a good grade on my speech, and I, I got thinking about later, 3,500 seats in that auditorium. If you know much about math, what are the chances that we would sit next to each other? What are the chances that he would speak out? What are the chances that I would sit in a balcony? And I was so frustrated. Why are you doing this, God? Esther! God was dragging Esther's feet. He put me right where I needed to be. And I never forgot that. I could go out after that many times in my life. There is nothing. That's just a dumb little speech for a freshman. No big deal. It doesn't matter to God. Yes, it did because it mattered to his son. God can answer your prayer. Mark this verse down and circle in your Bible. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Mark 9, 23. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. There's several other verses. There is nothing impossible with God. So the devil comes along and says, you don't have enough faith. You're right, I don't, but all I need is a little mustard seed. And all I need to do is cast it in the ground and let God... I sound like a charismatic, don't I? But it's true. It's true. Maybe you're here this morning, the devil's been lying to you. I haven't even hit your lie, but can I just review the lies real quick? You can't really know you're saved. Look at your life. Well, you didn't save yourself to begin with. God keeps you. Amen? If you're saved, you're saved. If you don't know a time when you've accepted Christ and you're not sure for that reason, listen, you can know Christ today. Number two, if you think you can play around with a little bit of sin, it's like playing with a snake, you're going to get bit. You can't play with sin and get away with it. You can't compromise truth. Number three, quit comparing yourself with other people. Get your eyes on Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. The Bible is the word of God. Do not let Satan ever put a question mark over God's commands. If God says it, it's true. It's forever settled. God can hear you. God cares about everything that you have in your life. He cares about your children. He cares about your health. He cares about your job. He cares about your faith. He cares about your disruptive that are in your life and the problems, the money. God cares about it all. God cares like a loving father, a big brother. And having enough faith, if you can take it to God and plant it with that little seed of mustard faith, there's nothing. There's nothing. There is absolutely nothing that can't be done. Well, Satan's a liar. Don't believe him. Believe God's word. Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would help us to have confidence in you and get our eyes off the human thinking or I feel or the Satan's lies. And let us, Father, come to the truth that you are can keep our salvation and you hear our prayers and that lord if we'll just come to you in simple belief trust in you you will deal with it in Jesus name